0: Yeah. Yeah. all right uh kale here from zero tolerance uh homebrew club and i have jason yurger uh from the upcoming mutantus uh brewery and bottle shop and so thank you for joining us jason appreciate My you pleasure. coming by so um in terms of your new operation um can you tell us a little bit about uh, Mutantis, what uh, the mission is, and what you guys are doing there, and
1: when it's going to open, all the, all the details on that? Absolutely. So Mutantis is kind of my attempt at bringing together all the gluten-free beer that is all over the place down here in Oregon under one roof. Um, I'm not doing a big operation. I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of packaging. It's mostly going to be like a brew pub, bottle shop kind of deal. But I plan on carrying all the gluten-free beer that I can basically get my hands on here in the Pacific Northwest, giving dedicated taps to the other Northwest gluten-free breweries. So, you know, anybody who's passing through the area, if you want to come to one spot and try every gluten-free beer you can get in the Northwest, you can come get it at Mutantis. Um, But of course, I'm also going to be brewing a lot of my own beer as well. Um, It would be pretty tough to make it financially successful if I was just selling other people's beer. Plus, I mean, brewing is kind of what I do. So to not have a brewery component would be a little bit silly. Um, But yeah, so it's basically um, focused around doing a lot of experimentation, a lot of one off limited release kind of stuff. No flagships. That's kind of my motto. Never brew the same beer twice. Basically, just like what I would do as a home brewer, except on a slightly larger scale.
0: A lot of freedom uh, in the process um, in terms of, you know, uh, if you're doing small batches, you get to brew whatever you want, when you want. Uh, How does that... Uh, you know, how does that free you up from the constraints of like, uh, you know, if you had a flagship series where you just had to focus on pumping out beers, uh, you know, the same beers over and over again?
1: Yeah, well, it's, they're two very different sides of essentially the same coin, you know, in the brewing industry. It's like on the one hand, you have breweries that are focused on, you know, large scale distribution consistency, 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 you know, making the same beer as, you know, as exact as possible every single time, which is, you know, a skill and an art unto itself. But uh, for me personally, as a brewer, it's not very fulfilling. You know, I like to be able to tinker with stuff, um, you know, I don't really have a lot of fun if I just get one recipe that's kind of like good enough and just keep rolling that over and over again. Like I always want to be trying out new stuff and like, you know, like I'm not, I'm not content with just like a pretty good IPA or something like that. You know, I want to really refine the style, like get it as close to perfect as I can. And I feel like there's like unlimited room for improvement, you know, so like, to have the freedom to just kind of tweak whatever I want, whenever I want, and you know, if I get something right, great. If I you know face plant on it and it turns out to be crap, oh well, it's you know just one batch, and I've got a a brand new one right around the corner. Yeah, you you,
0: you always want to improve the beers, right? And hopefully it goes in that direction instead of the opposite direction, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure it can go both ways, right?
1: Yeah, I mean you got to break a few eggs if you want to make an omelet, you know, they're not all going to be like gold medal winners, but you know, that's yeah. the, that's the price of admission. Yeah. So tell me about uh the name, right?
0: Uh where where I always find it fascinating where the name's kind of uh uh came from. Uh, is there a story behind the name at all?
1: Absolutely. Uh so I mean the the short answer is it's a portmanteau of mutant and Atlantis. And I kind of think of it as being like, you know, a safe place for mutants, you know, because all of us with celiac disease, we are, I mean, mutants, that's what we are. We have some kind of weird mutation uh, with our immune system. And, um, you know, we kind of got to stick together, you know, we're we're the minority here. Uh, But also there's kind of a deeper story behind it. Um, So I am... A licensed minister uh, in the Church of the Subgenius, which I don't think a lot of people have heard of these days. Um, it was kind of popular in like the late 80s, early 90s, but it's a very interesting joke, disguised as a religion, disguised as a joke, um, kind of um, just a really like weird, surrealist, postmodern kind of bunch of people who just do a lot of like wild and wacky pranks and stuff like that um i'm doing a terrible job of explaining it because it's really kind of difficult to explain but uh the church of the subgenius has this whole mythology of like the subgenius as being this alternate species that you know evolved parallel to humanity and you know we actually were like seeded by like this race of aliens known as the exists um back in like you know prehistoric times there was a Basically, we were like livestock for a race of yetis that lived in a a great city (laughs) known as Mutantus. And, you know, I just thought that was a really evocative name. And, you know, when I was trying to come up with names for a brewery, you know, I wanted to pick something that really was kind of near and dear to my heart and would kind of, you know, let my freak flag fly, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, out of all the the names that I had on the shortlist, that was the one I kind of kept coming back to. Um, you know, it's, it's an homage to something that's important to me. It's weird. It's short. Um, it's probably going to get misspelled and mispronounced a lot, which, you know, I kind of enjoy for some perverse reason. But yeah, that's, that's the story. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, naming a brewery to me reminds me of my experience of, of, you know, thinking about what tattoo I want to get. Right. So, yeah. and I ended up, I don't have any tattoos. Right. And I could never like name my own brewery just because I, I keep overthinking it. Right. It's like, you can always, I feel like if you're doing something as important as that, it's like hard not to overthink that the yeah. whole portion of it. Right. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, it's, it's definitely like, I've, I remember back to when I was like really first getting serious about home brewing and starting to like dream about starting my own brewery. You know, I've been thinking about what I would call my own brewery since like yeah. 2010, 2011, you know, and it took me a long time to settle on V-Tantis. You know? Nice. Nice. It's
0: fine. but it's nice to finally um, see it coming to life. And tell us a little bit about, um, your timeline and how the pandemic has affected that and when you think you're going to be open for business and have people in the door and and be able to get um have your dream be fulfilled essentially
1: right yeah yeah so i am trying my best to get open by mid-july Um, I am an army of one in this project. I don't have any partners or employees or anything like that. Um, so I'm basically, you know, doing everything myself, um, along with a general contractor. So, you know, it's really all on me if I don't make it by (laughs) mid-July, but, um, I was originally trying to be open in March, um, which I'm really glad I didn't end up making that happen because, then I would have been open right like right before the pandemic hit. Um, basically what happened is I was all kind of set to like, just start, you know, kicking ass and taking names and whatnot. Uh, and the city building department uh, decided they wanted to go through a whole seismic review process that just, you know, threw a monkey wrench into everything. So everything just kind of went to a grinding halt. And um, it was only really in the last month or so that we, that I finally cleared the last of those hurdles so now I'm just like frantically trying to like get the place painted and cleaned up you know trying to marshal my fabricator and my contractor to like get on the same page for the system install which should be happening in the next couple of weeks Um, you know it's just a mad scramble at this point so it's anyone's guess when I'll actually get the doors open but I keep telling myself (laughs) mid-July and so once you get open
0: uh, how many what, how many taps do you think you're gonna have uh, going? And then are you, and it sounds like all of the different gluten-free brewery um, mm-hmm. from from the Oregon market are gonna be in there for either uh, bottles or, or cans or, or maybe even kegs or anything like that. How many how much how many different uh, beers on tap are you gonna be looking to brew? So
1: I'm shooting for about 14 taps. I want to have eight of my own beers, um, and then plus a tap for Beerly, for Groundbreaker, for Moon Shrimp for evasion, and then I'll probably have another tap, you know, they'll kind of rotate through, you know, random people's seasonal offerings, Um, you know, if somebody else like cold crash ever makes it down here, I'll definitely give them a tap. And then I wanna have a cider tap just because you gotta have a cider tap. And, um, you know, beyond that, I plan on stocking like a nice big reach-in cooler full of everybody's bottles and cans and all that good stuff.
0: You know, like if, if there's people that are gonna watch this, maybe from other parts of the world, and they and if and if they see this and they're from another part of the world where they have zero options, right? They're <laughs> gonna be so jealous about what you're doing at this place because, I mean, I can tell you, I'm in Seattle and it's a pretty, you know, gluten friendly. I hate the term, right? But it's yeah. it's pretty friendly to you know gluten free beer drinkers and gluten free people and. In, in, in general, right? But from other other areas that I've been into, it's like, oh, I'll take the rosé um, cider, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's all you get. So, I mean, to, to see what you're doing and what's um, happening down in, you know, the Portland, McMinnville, Oregon market is pretty fantastic if you're, I mean, it's kind of a destination uh, for... Yeah. Um, a beer drinker that has celiac or gluten intolerance or something like that. Right. So it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And that's really the reason I wanted to do this in Portland, you know, cause like I could have moved to another city where there's no gluten free beer on the market, you know, and tried to fill that niche. But, you know, I don't really like trying to be all things to all people. And, you know, when you're kind of the first in a new market, that's a whole, you know, headache to like try to get yourself on the shelf and all that like here in Portland the market's pretty well established so rather than going out and like you know trying to get on grocery store shelves and whatnot I can really just kind of like amp up the momentum that all these other brewers are building up and kind of like help just kind of like tie it all together. Yeah
0: that's great I can't wait to uh, I, I I know you had posted a picture of the insides and of course the space looks huge uh, when there's nothing in it. Right. But, and and you're I'm sure surely planning on uh, filling that up with your equipment and all that kind of stuff. So um, I guess that there's not that many hurdles left. Right. So you just got to get the equipment in there and, and uh, finish the finishing touches on there. And it's a mad dash at this point. Right. Definitely. Nice. I wanted to switch the the, uh, the topics to um you know brewing processes and things like that and I mm-hmm. I think that there's uh, on our Facebook page for zero tolerance gluten free homebrew club there's a lot of conversation about uh mashing uh techniques when it comes to mashing gluten free it's uh <laughs> let's say it's it's an art form right and so there's <laughs> yeah there's uh you know reverse step mashes there's rising step mashes there single infusion mashes there's um start really hot go down really low and then start back up uh, uh i've been doing decoction mashes where it's kind of all over the board what's your what's your opinion in terms of um, the amount of effort that's involved in some of those uh, mashing techniques uh, uh, when it comes to the ease of the, the matching technique versus the work fermentability or what you get out of something that's got a lot of, um, more complex complexity to, to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a tough question to answer because, you know, it really depends on what you're trying to get out of the beer, like how much you care about efficiency, how much you care about body and head retention and whatnot. You know, at this point, you know, the community has kind of found like probably at least a dozen ways to successfully make gluten-free beer out of, you know, the variety of grains that are available to us. Um, what I am mostly focused on at this point is just kind of trying to figure out how to have like as complete control as possible over the finished product for like as little effort as possible, you know, because I mean, realistically, you can get away with just a single infusion mash if you're okay with efficiencies in the like 70 to 80% range. Um, you know, or, you know, you can do some like slightly more complicated mashes and just dump a bunch of glucoamylase in there and you'll get, you know, great efficiency and huge attenuation, but you might be hurting on the head retention, the body and whatnot. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to say I've got it all figured out at this point, but honestly, it's still, I think, I think we're still a little ways away from having it like fully dialed in. I mean, I've been working pretty closely with JP Beerly down at Beerley Brewing for like about the last year or so. Um, the two of us have just been kind of working together, trying different enzymes, different mash methods and whatnot, and kind of comparing notes with other brewers. And it's just, it's, it's bizarre to me is that stuff that works in one brewery doesn't seem to translate to another and like vice versa. Like, you know, I I see people posting results from some process and I'll try the same process and, like, it'll be, like, completely different. And, you know, it's it's like, what is going on here? Do we have, like, gremlins in the malt that are just kind of, like, messing with us in different ways? But, I mean, that, that's kind of one of the things that I hope to do with Mutantus is, you know, with all these experimental batches, I'm going to have the opportunity to just try, like, every other idea that I can come up with and hopefully can finally dial in a mash that works and that you can like really just tweak a few little things and get drastically different results
0: yeah it's interesting uh to me i i did my first decoction mash on one of my last brews and it was fun to me as a brewer because it really got me into the process if you will right i was in there stirring the mash and heating it up and you know to pulling the mash out and doing that whole process was i mean to me that's um a little bit more rewarding than you know just pressing a button and then having a machine just do it for me right so part at some point I'll probably just be to the point where I just want to press a button <laughs> yeah right uh but uh it's definitely um it's definitely an art form and you've also speaking of beerly. um you guys have both been pretty uh, open and willing to share with a lot of the results that you have with the community of homebrewers, which is awesome to see that, especially in you know this type of brewing where it's there's all sorts of, like you said, there's so many different variables that are out there that it's hard to determine, is it my system? Is it the enzymes? Is it the grains? Like, wh- why can't I repeat what someone else has done, right? <laughs> there's so many variables
1: yeah i mean i feel like what the community needs more than anything is sort of like a shared knowledge base you know like because a lot of like commercial gluten-free brewers like to be really protective about whatever they've come up with you know they find something that works for them and they want to treat it like you know it's a trade secret or something like that but i feel like that really kind of stifles growth you know it's like you find something that's good enough but you don't really know if there's something better out there unless you're actively talking to other brewers and kind of comparing notes and sharing processes and stuff like that so you know I've always kind of felt pretty strongly that like I don't want to keep my knowledge closely guarded I want to get it out there as far and wide as possible so that other people can kind of build off of it come back to me and say hey I tried this and then I changed this and I got this result and I think it was better maybe you should try it this way and you know, so far that's, that's kind of been the case for me. Cause I will literally tell everything I know to anybody who asks, um, you know, I, I like to charge for it when I can, but honestly, let's be real, like buy me a beer and I'll pretty much spill my gun, So
0: <laughs> I actually, I was, I was going to say um, when I first started brewing, brewing uh, gluten-free beer, well, I'd never bre- brewed anything, but right. So it was, I was uh, just new to the hobby in general, but I stumbled upon Homebrew Talk, and it's funny because um, looking at the gluten-free brewing section in that, it's—I know it's from a long time ago—but there's still threads on there that I think you started, and it's pretty cool <laughs> to go back and read some of the crazy stuff that was going on. It's a it definitely—you could tell that you were definitely super into it, right? So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. What I what I lack in knowledge and training, I usually make up for in enthusiasm. <laughs> There's something
0: to be said for, you know, enthusiasm and ambition, just the, you know, uh, leading the way, right? So it's, if you don't put the effort in, then it doesn't matter, you know, how smart or how knowledgeable you are about a subject It it's, you got to put that effort in to really take it to the next level. Yeah. So you mentioned enzymes, right? That's uh, another, that's the second in the, you know, one of the pillars of Crazy gluten-free brewing um, mythology, if you will. Right. So, um, I mean, in in industrial, you know, you know, the enzymes that are in those grains, it's like we have to basically heat them up so high to get them to gelatinize that we, you know, end up frying out all the natural enzymes in there. So, a lot of the times, you know. We've been uh, putting in these industrial type type of uh, enzymes to get uh, fermentable wort, Um, and then I think you mentioned it that it's kind of like case by case, you know, what enzymes and which mashing uh, strategies are best for what beer, right? Yeah. So um, from from your perspective, what's your thought on um, you know enzymes and gluten free brewing in general?
1: Yeah. So there's basically you know if you read you know basic homebrew book they always talk about alpha amylase and beta amylase and that's kind of as far as most people's understanding goes but really for us in gluten-free brewing um, it's not nearly that simple like beta amylase is almost like completely off the table for us and alpha amylase is not actually as cut and dry as it's kind of talked out to be like you know, they, they always say like conventional wisdom, alpha amylase just kind of randomly chops the starches and you get some dextrin, some glucose, whatnot. But like, there's actually different types of alpha amylase that favor different types of sugar production for you know lack of a better word. Like some alpha amylases are really dextrin heavy. Some of them are really maltose heavy. Some of them will even produce, you know, more in the range of glucose. Um, so figuring out exactly what kind of alpha amylase you're working with is kind of one of the hard parts because most people i mean even i don't really know half the time because enzyme companies aren't really keen to tell you what's in their products um but so we're, like that's kind of where i'm at right now is trying to find specifically a maltogenic alpha amylase um because unless you have a maltogenic amylase the primary conversion that's going to happen with a glucoamylase because that's one of the only other types of amylase that'll actually break down amylopectin which is a type of starch that is found heavily in rice malt Um, and amylopectin really doesn't like to break down under most alpha amylases Um, but glucoamylase will break it down all day long it'll just make nothing but glucose out of it and you'll end up with basically like a brute form of whatever beer you're trying to make um but until pretty recently that's what most most of us were using in the commercial gluten-free brewing industry because you know i remember back in the day when i was getting started at ghost fish i kind of was going back and forth with a research chemist at one of the enzyme companies and it was like here try this and like oh okay this works i'm getting conversion i'm getting attenuation oh glucoamylase all right great that's what i'll use um so you know that was mostly where it was at. now i have kind of try to refine my understanding about alpha amylase but then there's one more enzyme that's also very important which is pololinase which basically uh how can i explain this as succinctly as possible um it basically it doesn't make sugar but it does break starches down into simpler starches that are then more accessible to yeah, uh, I, amylase. I can, I, can, I kind um, of so,
0: see yeah, so I, I see I see like the image of like a how to brew where uh, John Palmer's got that the branches and then the branches get to- cut into a little bit smaller twigs and then yeah. uh, you know so there's a tree and then there's the branches and then there's the twigs. It's kind of a good analogy I think. I, I so polonaise is, is basically kind of taking the you know branches and making them into smaller twigs if you will, right?
1: Yeah, you can definitely think of it that way. Yeah, um, And, you know, like different starches have different degrees of branching. And that's like, that's the thing is even like amylopectin is generally considered a branched starch. But how branched it is really depends on the grain. Like the amylopectin you find in millet might not nearly be as branched as the amylopectin you find in rice malt. And that's one of the reasons why rice malt has been kind of tricky to work with. A millet malt's easy. Like you can get that stuff to convert with just about any enzyme you want to throw at it and it'll it'll be fine. But rice malt is always like, like either it converts completely to sugar or like you just end up with a bunch of dextrins and it won't attenuate. And I, honest to God, that's been where I've just been kind of banging my head against the wall for like the last five or six years is like, how do we get rice malt to work as easily as millet malt? And it really... Yeah, know, I think we're getting close, but polonase was definitely like a missing link in there. It seems like the,
0: the new malts from Eckert, the new biscuit rice malts, and then the, the Andia Pro that a lot of people have been using. Um, I just, I brewed with that, that one of the new biscuit rice malts and the smell when you milled that. And then when you brewed with it was just amazing. Right. And I had I had had the worst luck with like an all rice malt beer before, where I basically just said I'm I'm just gonna focus on mainly millet based beers. But now it's like I'm starting to see a shift, and I feel like there's a more of a shift in the home brewing community where uh, a lot more people are experimenting with fifty fifty or more rice heavy um,
1: yeah.
0: bills or rice as a base malt, if you will. Right. So totally. it's been interesting to see.
1: That was kind of how we knew that Andia Pro was really something special is, you know, JP and I, we brewed a 100% rice malt lager based off of one of Jim Eckert's recipes. And until that point, every all rice beer I'd made was like stringent, poorly attenuated, had some kind of weird like wintergreen celery seed character. But when we did this all rice malt lager with the Andia Pro, it came out sweet and clean and full bodied. And I was like, there's no way this is a hundred percent rice malt. Like what is going on here? This is like a whole new ball game now. So yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And now, now the thing is um, a lot of people are struggling with um, uh, attenuation, right? They're right. getting these great sweet beers, but then it ends up at, you know, or something like that and it's just not to the style so um it's there's (laughs) there's still some mystery in there a little bit with i know even jp had mentioned hey i i uh, there's some of these beers are under attenuating and uh yeah so for some styles that may be perfect right but other styles that doesn't really fit uh what you're trying to accomplish right
1: yeah and so that's that's kind of the like you know the holy grail right now is like we're trying to figure out what the right enzyme is to add to the andia pro it'll get our attenuation to like the mid 70s you know we don't want to go too far you know to strip the body out of everything but like being able to get above like 60 to 63 percent attenuation would definitely open up a lot more doors you know what we need is we
0: need a uh I, there, I know there's some literature out there. The Facebook page, our Facebook page is a little bit tough because there's a lot of good information in there, but it kind of disappears over time. But at some point, there's got to be like the how to brew gluten-free edition, if you will, that someone's yeah. going to create. And uh, I think that a lot of the work that people are doing now is going to lead to being able to, you know, have that, that as a resource for brewers and even pro brewers brewers in the future
1: definitely i mean it's i keep threatening to write a book like that but you know right now i don't exactly have an abundance of free time to start working on a manuscript but if somebody else doesn't beat me to the punch it's definitely on my like bucket list but if nothing else like if somebody else is taking the lead on it i definitely want to like help out however i can because that that book needs to exist but we have to kind of figure out the best practice first. you know, We still have a little ways to go before it's like ready for prime time.
0: Yeah, well you hear that, that's a challenge. I think that's a challenge out there from Jason Yerger from Mutantus <laughs> that um, if no one else gets on it, he's gonna write a book, right? Once, once you get a, a little bit of spare time, right? It sounds like you're not gonna have any spare time for the most part for a, a long period of time, right?
1: At least probably the next year or two, I think, you know, with any luck, I'll be successful enough that I can actually hire some help after a little while. Um, but, you know, we'll see with <laughs> the climate, the way it is now, you know, the whole COVID everything, it could be a tough first couple of years, you know, if we get hit with, you know, some more lockdowns, if we hit, you know, a second wave of the pandemic, you know, who knows? I'm just yeah. fingers crossed that, you know, we, we keep it under control and don't have to shut down again once we reopen.
0: Exactly. So let, let's uh, let everyone know, how can they get more information about uh, Mutantus? Again, you're looking to most likely um, open in the middle of July, hopefully. Are you on Facebook? Uh, where, where can people get more information about the operation?
1: Yeah, so I do have a Facebook page if you just search Mutantis, um, which for those listening at home, if you can't think of how to spell it, just spell mutants and then add an I before that S at the end, and that's Mutantis. Um, there's also, I've got a website that I just finished a, a rebranding on. Um, it's just Mutantus.beer, which who knew the dot beer was a thing, right? <laughs> as soon as I saw that was an option, I'm like, yeah, Mutantus.beer, that's what I want. Um, you can check that out. Um, I don't update that as frequently as I do the Facebook page, but that's, I'm going to get better about that as I actually start getting closer to opening. Uh, I don't have any other social media right now. Um, I'd love to get an Instagram going. I'm probably not going to bother with Twitter because that's kind of a whole mess, but um, you know, it's just, there's so many, so many things to juggle right now that I'm just kind of trying to focus on like Facebook and the website, but
0: and if you ever want uh from a home brewing side if you ever want Jason's uh, opinion then if you join the zero tolerance facebook page uh he's a frequent uh commenter and uh helps out a lot with um people that you know need need assistance or have you know questions about gluten free brewing so we appreciate you for that so it sounds like you got mutant beer for mutant people right <laughs> yeah. we need to come up with a new uh, <laughs> A, a slogan for your place man well you know i want to thank you for joining um this is the first of i hope uh um several of these um gonna meet the brewer programs for the zero tolerance page and for youtube so thank you for joining thank everyone for stopping by and uh, uh happy brewing cheers it's yep. been a pleasure yep